You may notice that in your bulletins this morning, I omitted the uh, Old Testament reading. Uh, it is part of your insert, and it does come from Genesis 47, beginning at verse 27 and continuing through verse 31. We have a snippet here in Genesis of a, a time from the life of the people of God when they had left the famine of Canaan and come down to the plenty of Goshen land, Egypt, where they would make a home for themselves and they would do quite well for a while. So I invite you to listen for the word of the Lord as it is there written. So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen and they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Now if I have found favor in your sight, my son, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt. But let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. Then he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading, which I did not forget to put in the bulletin this morning, comes... From 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 3 and continuing through verse 10. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. We are putting no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we have commended ourselves in every way through great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. In honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet are well known, as dying and see, we're alive, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. It has been said that more is less. The question then is less more. As the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he isn't afraid to include some background autobiographical information for their benefit 
So he reminds them of what sorts of storms he's been through and where it's left him. Speaking of storms, we are this past week at the historic height of hurricane season. Yet as I was beginning to write this sermon, for the first time in a long time, not a single such storm had made landfall in the United States. Well, it looks as if the situation has changed and is about to change further. But until this week, the hurricane season had been so atypical that that people had been writing about it. And I read this past week of a study that tracked the numbers and the strength of Atlantic Basin hurricanes over the last hundred years. In the most recent 50-year period, there was a decrease in the total number of storms, while the percentage of major hurricanes had increased. In summary, the, the number of storms had diminished, but on average, they were more powerful. And given that both of the latest named storms of this year, Fiona and Ian, both were or are expected to become major hurricanes, it looks like that trend is continuing. Well, also this past week, I was skimming some pages in an autobiography that we have of a man who was born into one of the pioneer families in hurricane country. That is southwest, far southwest Florida. This was a fellow who was still alive back in 1990 when my in-laws first moved to his small island in the Everglades. In this book about his life, there were unsurprisingly many pages that were dedicated to tropical storms. For they are, after all, a, a part of life in those parts. And the decades of the author's youth, the 1920s and the 1930s, they were particularly active for storms that made landfall in South Florida. His grandfather, who had been born in 1849, learned some rudimentary medical practice from reading books and talking with a few doctors so that he served for decades as a self-styled midwife as a dentist, in addition to being an entrepreneur who was on assignment as postmaster, newspaper contributor, and storekeeper on the island for many, many of his years. He was 79 when a powerful hurricane roared by the island, almost 96 years to the day from this. Well, you may have heard news reports of the devastation that's been wrought on the island of Puerto Rico by the winds and the rains of Hurricane Fiona. Five years ago, similar scenes of destruction were visited on the territory by another hurricane named Maria. In the wake of that storm, this congregation responded by sending a, a relief donation to a nonprofit agency serving several vulnerable women and children, an organization that was struggling to continue to provide services 
after their facilities had sustained damage and the entire region was without electricity for months. And I can say that I heard this morning uh, that we have been in contact with that same agency quite recently to reach out to them and find out what their needs are and may be in the days and weeks and months to come. And if you'd like to know more about that, uh, you can talk with Phyllis because she's the one who spoke directly with them. And I do pray that we might again seek out ways corporately and individually to act generously to aid in this season of cleanup and recovery on the island as we discern how to respond in the aftermath of this natural disaster, may we also be reminded of the words of John Bradford, a 16th century English Reformed martyr who was burned at the stake on orders of Queen Mary. He said, there but for the grace of God goes John Bradford. Indeed, there for the grace of God go we all. Disaster can overtake any of us at any time, at any place. Sometimes we have a hand in its visitation. On other occasions, we, we seem to be completely innocent victims of circumstance. Whatever the case, whatever the causes, the effects are just as devastating. Though we may not have control over these forces of destruction, the living do have a measure of control over their response. Which brings me back to the account of the Florida hurricane of September 1926. In one of his last dispatches, written in the immediate aftermath of that natural disaster, old man McKinney wrote these words. He said, our warehouse was washed away and we have sustained a heavy loss for a poor creature who had nothing much to lose. The good book tells us that he that has must lose, while he that has not cannot lose. So we are feeling good over having little. These were some of the final words of his recorded for posterity as the next month, while he was loading, rebuilding supplies from the mainland into his boat, he suffered a massive heart attack and died on the dock. As I read these words, I was set to wonder how anyone could feel good about having little. Many of you have traveled more extensively than I have. You've gone places both in this country and across the world that I have not. You have witnessed people who are living in conditions very different from our own here in and around Delmarva. But even in my own limited experience, I've seen some of the damage visited on entire neighborhoods in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. Entire sections of the city had been abandoned. I've also seen the conditions that more rural residents in parts of Cuba live in after the collapse of the Soviet Union, their largest trading partner, and under the punishing restrictions of the U.S. trade embargo, 
While their way of life may take a well-off foreigner like myself aback, the most vivid and lasting image of life there in the Christian communities that I visited was that of a joy and a generosity that puts many in affluent third world nations worshiping communities to shame. So, if more is less, as they say, is less more. I was reading an article this week from the London Times, which examined the phenomena of so-called midlife crisis. It was prompted in part by some new research that indicates that as the lifespans of people, especially in the Western world, had been increasing up until the start of the pandemic, of course, uh, the reported onset of a midlife crisis had, not surprisingly, also been delayed by several years, which means, according to these authors, I am ripe for mine. But the author of this Times article noted the report does not reach firm conclusions about what causes the increases in distress in midlife. It makes a tentative suggestion that, quote, unmet aspirations, unquote, are part of the explanation and concludes that it's not yet clear whether the patterns are some kind of perplexing and perhaps temporary byproduct of today's affluent world. Well, such a scientific research focus on phenomena like this are relatively recent. I suspect that the symptoms of those that they say are afflicted with such ailments have been visible for quite a long time. The world is very accomplished, after all, at presenting her inhabitants with a lifetime's worth of unmet aspirations. Our whole economy, I would argue, is predicated on arousing consumption. And to do that, one first has to be convinced that there's something more they need to have, to do, or to be. Enough is never enough. The Apostle Paul, as he writes this second letter to the Corinthian community, does so out of love and concern for their spiritual well-being. In the epistle, he reminds them of the true gospel message and their path to belief in it. And he also addresses issues of concern that have been raised since the days when they first received and accepted that good news of Jesus Christ. He's writing a personal plea that is backed by the reputation of himself and his fellow co-workers in the missionary field. As he concludes, he notes that some have sought to portray them in an unkind light as sorrowful, but that is not the case. Perhaps one might reason they had every right they should be sorrowful, as they've certainly had it rough in this life since they cast their lot with the Lord. And he goes through a litany of the afflictions that have been visited upon them. And then he notes that they've also been 
seen as being impoverished. But he wants to set the record straight there as well. Looks may be deceiving. For the whole focus in their venture has not been to enrich themselves, but to share the riches of the kingdom with the whole world. In Paul's mind, as he writes in other letters as well, is this counterintuitive notion of the upside-down kingdom in which the least will be given the greatest, the hungry will be fed, the thirsty given drink, the naked clothed, the captives freed, and the poor having riches. And it's not just a reality that is on indefinite hold until that great getting up morning. It's a reality which is mysteriously coming into being in the present, in part because of the work being done by those who are followers of the way of Jesus the Christ. The good book tells us that he that has must lose While he that has not cannot lose, so we are feeling good over having little, Mr. McKinney wrote. The Apostle Paul and his co-workers may have thought just the same sort of thing, appearing to the outside world to have had little, but actually they possessed this pearl of greatest value, one which the world even today, has yet to recognize as such. And perhaps the craziest part of it all is they didn't spend their time securely guarding it, stashing the treasure away in a vault. No, instead they were freely giving it all away to all after the manner of giving that was demonstrated to them by the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, their friend, teacher, Savior and Lord. In their day, the Roman citizens living there in Corinth were generally pretty well off by their standards. They lived in a prestigious city, one that provided public services, and there were opportunities in a range of professional endeavors. But despite all that the people had, Paul and his friends knew they lacked the most important and valuable thing of all, and made it their business to share it with their wealthier neighbors. As the Sunday Times article reminded us, we today in the West may have much, but often we find it's not enough to compensate for our unmet aspirations. And I know there are others who have far less and find it to be quite sufficient. Perhaps the difference has something to do with quality over quantity. In that respect, maybe more is less. And for such a divine paradox as this, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.